0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek uh, number 310 for January 17th, 2011. <laughs> of the mac observers mac geek Gab, the show where you ask the questions we provide the answers we share the tips from here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here in Fairfield, connecticut john f braun mr john f braun uh do you yeah. spell it e-f-b-r-a-u-n huh huh no never mind i'm just being i'm just being a wise ass um uh, yeah well I'm, yeah. I'm used to it i know so here we are. This is our last regular show before we head off to Macworld Expo next week, I believe, because we're not doing a show Monday because I'm in the air on Monday. Oh, all right. I think I mean, we may be able to squeeze one in after I land. Uh, but yes, Macworld Expo is next week. So we're uh, we're going to be there. In fact, while we're talking about Macworld Expo, let's talk about all the things that you and I uh, individually and collectively are doing together at Macworld Expo Uh Let's see uh, on Thursday, going in date order, the list I have and please c- correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, John. But it uh, on Thursday at 1 p.m. in room 3006 at Moscone West. So this is Thursday, January 27th at uh, Moscone West in San Francisco, California. I am doing my running your Mac lean, clean and mean presentation. I have updated it for uh, Macworld Expo this year, as I always do, because a it makes it more fun for me and b they force me to. So, uh, which is more fun if I do what they force me to do because otherwise then they chase me down. That's bad. Uh, so I'm doing that, uh, as part of the users conference. So you do need a users conference badge to get in for that. Uh, that night of course is Cirque de Mac, our party that we throw every year at Mac World Expo. We have a, um, a contest currently going for Cirque de Mac tickets, We've had some great things. We've got people posting uh, witty little things in the comments, some haikus, some pictures, some, uh, some all kinds of different things. But uh, but that's direct to Mac. Our sponsors for that, of course, that I like to mention: our, are not our are, uh, accelerate, smile, uh, Code Weavers, Drobo, Denon Marantz, Angry Mac Bastards, Merlin. And Microsoft Office for Mac, so uh, it's, it's it's shaping up to be a fantastic event. I'm really really excited about uh, how things are coming along. Wow, I like that last
1: one there. Though the, 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 I told them they got to check the angry and the bastard at the door.
0: That's right. You that's can't right. bring that to the party because this is a happy time. It is a party is a happy time. That's right. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. So that's Thursday. Uh, oh oh, I, and I missed this. Uh, And I did it out of order. I said I was going to do it in order and I blew it on number two because at 3 p.m. on Thursday, the 27th, Dave and John, that would be me and you. That's right. (laughs) Can you tell I'm reading from a script here and still getting it wrong? We are doing a uh, we're doing a podcast uh, just a meet and greet at the smile, uh, the smile booth. So. That is at uh, at 3 p.m. on Thursday, the 27th. So a busy day, 1 p.m. session, 3 p.m. at the Smile booth we will probably be there for, I would say, at least a half hour, probably uh, Mm -hmm. maybe a little longer, maybe an hour. Uh, And then, of course, we've got to jet off. I've got to get to the party. And, John, you've got to do whatever it is you're going to do between then and the party. Um, Then, of course, there's the party that night. The next day, Friday, that would be Friday the 28th. We are doing yet another meet and greet at the Drobo booth the data robotics booth at 2 p.m. And I think we'll be there for about a half hour. And then on Saturday, the 29th wrapping up Macworld expo live from the show floor on the Macworld live stage, we are going to be doing a Mac geek Ave. So for those of you that are at the show, you can come and sit in the audience, do uh, play stump the geek with us live, ask us your questions. And uh, we'll share our cool stuff that we found on the show floor throughout the show. And of course, those of you that aren't at the show, you'll get that here. Uh, because we will we will push that one and this one will push to make sure we push to uh, to to everyone so you uh, so you'll get that I think that's I think that's it is there anything I'm missing John no
1: okay. I uh, actually some of this is news to me
0: oh all
1: right <laughs> no well, when I saw the agenda no no I, I saw the emails going huh. on but uh, no meet and greets are great uh, you know it's uh, some of our favorite vendors yeah. And uh, it's always good to uh, you know, to meet the uh, meet the listeners uh, on the floor. I'd you know, yeah. like to know what you think about, you know, the the show. I think it'll help fuel what we may uh, talk about
0: at the uh on the live stage. That's actually probably very true, John. That's yep, I bet you are right. I bet you're right. All right. Uh while we're doing that, let's talk about let's talk about our first sponsor, which is Audio Engine at audioengineusa.com. The audio engine A2s are their, the product of theirs that I keep coming back to. They uh, have made these speakers. It's a It's a set of bookshelf speakers. Uh, actually, desktop speakers, I guess, is more accurate a term for these. They each have two uh, speakers inside each enclosure. And there's two enclosures. Uh, there's a little tweeter, there's a little woofer or low-end speaker. and then there's also a little slit that acts as a base port. And that really helps to round out the sound. These things are small. They're maybe uh, five, maybe six inches tall. I I have to say, though, I've got these. I've said it many times. I've got them in my in our kind of in our study or den at home and they fill up that room and the kitchen just fine. We're constantly using these. These are we probably listen to more music in the house through these than we do anything else, including our big, you know, hi-fi system in the in the living room. So uh and they and they do the job they sound good we listen to them while we eat dinner they they have a really warm sound they've been engineered with MP3s in mind when you convert music to MP3 it does change uh some of the EQ of that uh especially as it's being converted back which is what happens on the fly when you play them and these speakers are built to compensate for that a little bit and really help round out the sound they uh they're 199 but you can get a uh uh, you can get a discount because you're a Mac geek Cab listener using M G G T E N for 10% off. So you get them for about 180 bucks. Uh, they've also got what they call their 30 day audition, which means you can purchase these with your discount, try them out. And if within 30 days you've decided that you don't like them, they don't fit or for whatever reason they are not for you, send them back and they'll send you your money back. Uh, my guess is you probably won't need to take advantage of this 30-day uh, return, and which is what they probably guess too, and that's why they offer it. But they certainly do offer it if, for whatever reason, one of their products doesn't work. So this is Audio Engine's A2s, available at AudioEngineUSA.com. But of course, your MGG10 discount works for anything there. So MGG10 at AudioEngineUSA.com. All right, and with that, let's. Uh, Let's get on to some questions. We have it's been a couple of weeks since we've done questions because we did uh, cool stuff found last week, John, and we have some follow-ups to that, but let's get to let's get to Daryl here. Daryl writes, when I'm in Safari or any other web browser for that matter, I'd like to find a way to open every link that I click in a new window or tab. I know that I can click the link while holding down the command key to do this, or I can right-click the link and select open window in new window or tab. But at work, my laptop is on my right and I do a lot of surfing with just one hand. I'd simply like to be able to click on the link and have it open in new window or tab. Sounds like this would be trivial to do. But amazingly, I've done a lot of looking around and it seems there's no way to do this. Maybe you found another alternative. All right, John, go. We have found. So initially I found one alternative, but I'm going
1: to talk about the one that just totally escaped my mind because it just comes so naturally to me. So of course Dave on the MacBook you have the trackpad and there is an area trackpad preferences and this is something I do so this is why I didn't even think about it and it, I kind of missed it when he was saying well I have to hold down a key is the thing is you don't have to hold down a key and well normally you do so if you want to do a what what he said was a right click so his assumption was that well I'm going to have to hold down another key I guess control in order to do this right well
0: no it, you could do it with control but you but what he talked about is command where if you hold down command <laughs> right. and click the link it will automatically open it in a new tab so
1: well I don't know if that's always the but, uh, but let it me is, what it I is down. in Safari and Firefox for sure okay yeah all right so but the thing is what you can also do Dave is in the trackpad preferences and and I did, uh, I'm assuming this is off by default But if you uh, under the two finger actions, there is a box secondary tap. So what happens is if you enable secondary tap and you hover above the link in Safari and you use two fingers, it brings up that contextual menu that he was talking about that has either open a new window or open a new tab.
0: Oh, okay, cool.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So that's the first solution. All right, but then because I misunderstood initially, mis- uh, uh, that just kind of I blew past that. I then did some digging to find out. Well, you know, is there another way to do this? Uh, if if you don't want to hold down a key, or if if that feature is not enabled, and as a matter of fact, there is, Dave. Uh, as as you know, Safari now supports extensions, and this one is kind of cool. And I I think I actually uh, installed. Well, well, I did install it. I'll I'll have to see if uh, maybe we want to use this instead or in addition to the two finger action. But there's an extension called Super Drag. Uh, it's at realio.cz, uh, r e a l i o . c d c z, Charlie Zed uh, or Zeta or whatever. Zulu. Zulu. Yes. <laughs> Slash Super Drag. And what does this do? This is really actually kind of cool. So if you grab a link in Safari and then you drag it anywhere, and, and when you drag it, you will then see it'll show up, and you'll see the uh, part of the text of the link, and then you release it; it'll open it up in a new tab. So that's pretty darn cool. That's functionality which is is you know normally not there. And and going back to, well, I'm going to leave it at that. All right. So either enable the uh, two finger action that I mentioned, or get Super Dragon. That will allow you to do what you need with one hand.
0: And and I'll I'll augment that. Uh, by saying you know i'm someone who does not like tapping as clicking on a trackpad it's just something i never got used to i i want to click the button but you can do this or there's there's something similar and what you do is if you turned off tapping as clicking you, you can still put two fingers on the trackpad and click the button now this works with your laptop's trackpad it'll also work with the magic trackpad but uh but click the button and with two fingers down it also knows to bring up the contextual menu instead of the uh you know the the just act, acting like it was a normal click so so that would that would work there um now you know it it's worth saying that some links uh depending on how the web page has programmed them some links actually will for, will be forced to open in a new window and and the latest version of safari is smart enough to allow you to have those open not in new windows but new tabs so, uh, so there may be some links where this happens by default and, and you don't know why. And it's because the web developer or, uh, or someone on the other end has decided, no, this particular link goes to a, and it's a, it's called a target tag. And they say, send it to a blank target, which is of course a new window. So.
1: Right. And, and to round this out. So yeah, I had that as well. So yeah, if you, if you look at the source of the page, you'll see this target equals underscore, a uh, quote, underscore blank, close quote. Right. Uh, Safari also has in the tabs categories, if you go to preferences tabs, there also is another setting which depending on how you'd like the browser to work uh, says open pages in tabs instead of windows and there are three settings in there I think. It's never automatic or always. So that's another way to affect the behavior of Safari as far as uh, when you want if you always want things opened in tabs then then that would be another way
0: to uh, go about it. Which is really handy if you ask me. All right, Uh, Mark has a Uh, an interesting little tip. He was listening to an older show, three Oh five and says, I heard you folks talk about how to get a non-recognized disc out of the drive. And it reminded me of a trick I discovered a little while ago on this front. If the drive is continuing to spin up and spin down. And even if iTunes or DVD player is beach balling, you can go into, I like beach balling. That's a good term. Good verb. Uh, You can go into terminal and type drutil space, tray space, eject, Uh, And that will, uh, he says, it never fails to amaze me how well and how often this actually works. So thanks, Mark. That's handy stuff to have and handy stuff we wanted to share. All right. Yeah, it's good stuff.
1: I'm going to add a little something to that. So another way to do this, Dave, is there's something called open firmware. Remember that? For PowerPC only machines, of course. Oh. Oh you're right. You got me. No you didn't. <laughs> I thought so. Was... So yeah, so true. So on Open Firmware Macs, which were the PowerPC Macs, I think if you started them up and you you held down OF, of course, for Open Firmware and was it command option. Command option that would bring up a menu and one of the one of the selections, I don't know the exact one off the top of my head, you can find it if you if you google around, would be to eject whatever's in the drive. Right. Of course, the newer Macs have something called EFI, which is I guess you, you could call the firmware on the Intel machines. Now, normally you can't get to this. If you hold down, you know, that combination OF, you're not, you're not going to get anything. But there is an open source project, of course, we'll link to it called refit, R-E-F-I-T, get it? And this will allow you to access uh, at some level the EFI firmware within the Mac. Uh, and I don't recall, you know, you'll find it. It's uh, refit.sourceforge.net. And from what I read, there is also, if, if you access the EFI menu, another way to uh, to say, "Hey, eject whatever what's in the optical drive." So,
0: cool. And EFI, of course, stands for uh, Electronic Fuel Injection. No, that's correct. no, no, no. It's the Electronic Filing of Infringements. Is it Extensible Firmware Something Interface? You know, it's that's one, right. It, it's it's oh, Extensible okay. Firmware Interface. That's right. <laughs> Uh, all right. On to Axel. Axel writes, I know you have addressed this issue previously. However, I'm unable to find the episode. Uh, and it, it it's a question, Axel, that is timely since we're all heading where many of us are heading off to Macworld Expo soon. So worth repeating. Axel writes, I want to know if there is a way for an Apple Airport Express to share out my hotel's wireless connection in order to not need to keep hitting accept in a web browser. I'm on the road for several months at a time and use a Roku box as well as an Apple TV with an HDMI TV is available. I typically connect via a Windows PC using Internet connection, sharing via a LAN cable. The Windows PC connects wirelessly to the hotel Internet. OK, uh, I remember you. Oh, he says, I remember you would address this for someone who had a device that did not have a browser, but I cannot remember which episode. I know it was in 2010. It's true. Uh, and very quickly. Well, go, go ahead, John. Take it. I'm
1: going to start off here. So there is, you know, I wasn't able to get it to work. Now I have an older Airport Express and there actually is an Apple support article. It's HT1731 called Airport Express, how to join an existing wireless network in client mode. And it gives you the instructions on how to configure using the airport utility, the Airport Express to join another wireless network, which is, uh, I think, pointed out in a prior episode. I don't remember which one, but that's the easiest way to make the Airport Express glom onto another wireless network. So that you can certainly do, but Dave, I don't think that as I think you were hinting at, that doesn't solve the problem is no. just because you're extending, the, you're, you're making your airport express part of a wireless network, whether it be in a hotel or in your house or whatever, it's not going to eliminate at least what I've seen these systems that require you to click on this silly acknowledge uh, checkbox I don't know. It'd be be a fabulous feature, but the problem is, I think, is that there's no standard for how people do this. A lot of times it requires you to either click. Sometimes it's as simple as clicking on a button. Sometimes you've got to check a box saying, I acknowledge that I'm not going to be an evil hacker and disrupt the network and stuff like that. So I think just because there's no standard for this, and maybe there should be, there's no way for any base, Airport Express or otherwise, to anticipate this. So I think our suggestion is, you know, get the cheapest web wi-fi device that you can and and i think if you if you hit ebay or look in the refurb store an ipod touch i think would be an ideal candidate for something that can hop on the network and acknowledge this this dialogue
0: yep and and actually an airport express in my opinion is exactly the wrong device for this uh it is the right size but it is not configurable from a web browser so not only do you need a web browser device uh, to hit hit the accept, you need a Mac to configure your Airport Express to connect to the hotel's wireless network. Right. So, uh, if you're doing this, yes, you are going to need something with a web browser. But get yourself a you know a Linksys router, D-Link makes some really small ones, as does Netgear. Uh, get yourself something that's going to be small enough, uh, but also a configurable from the router side with a web browser because you don't, if you, if the idea is to eschew the computer, well, an airport express binds you to the computer, unless it just so happens that every hotel you visit has exactly the same wireless network uh, name. And then you don't need to mess with it, but you know, I mean, you know how that goes. Unless I guess, unless if if you're always at Hilton hotels and you know, you're always joining H honors, well, maybe it'll work. You know, I, that's a big risk though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess Mm -hmm. with that. So, so, all right. Uh, on to Edward, with a similar question, I think. Oh, it's not going to play. It should play. I would like it to play.
2: Hey, John and Dave, this is Edward Wade. Uh, just listening to your most recent uh, podcast on the WDS issue, and um, you know maybe I've misunderstood, but when I set up my Airport Express to extend my wireless network to my home. Uh, and I've got an Airport Extreme downstairs. I said the Airport Express upstairs actually uh, hardwired the uh, Airport Express as I plugged it into the socket. So I assumed that it wasn't just boosting the wireless signal that it was receiving from the Airport Extreme, but because it was hardwired, it was actually. Uh, transmitting a single signal that was as strong as the uh, original Airport Extreme signal was, that it wasn't just boosting the weakened signal that it was getting upstairs. Uh, Again, maybe I misunderstood, but it seems to work fine for me, because before I had that Airport Express, my uh, Wi-Fi upstairs was functional, but uh, it showed a much uh, weaker signal. And now it seems to show a much stronger signal. So uh just clarify for me if I'm uh, if I'm off base on that. Thanks and don't get caught. That's
0: where you cut me off. All right, and we'll cut you off. All right. Uh yes, Edward, when you connect wired, uh you're you're not using WDS as I understand it. WDS is only for wirelessly extending a base station. Uh, but you're, but you're effectively, is that correct, John? I, I I know when I read about WDS, there was something about wired WDS, but I didn't, I didn't think it was this.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking quickly at the Wikipedia page that talks about wireless distribution system. And it says it's a system that enables the wireless interconnection of access points okay. in an IEEE 802.11 network. So I've never, yeah. yeah, as far as I know, it's exclusively wireless to wireless. Got it. So, so I think he's, he's correct in his understanding
0: of yeah. what WDS does. But, but, but what he's doing, which is not WDS by that definition is the best thing to do, right? Cause you connect, you want to connect your access points via a wired connection. And then share them off. And I know this is a, a, you know, forgive the analogy, a horse that we have beat to death here, Uh, but it, but it's, it bears repeating because we're constantly getting questions about it. Uh, You know, the best thing to do is link those base stations wired either with an ethernet cable. That's certainly the best way. And if you can't do that, power line is your second best link them that way. And then, uh, and then have them broadcast the same SSID. So the same network name on two different channels. And your wireless devices will just magically roam from one to the other. You won't even know that it's happening. And yet you'll, you know, have a strong signal everywhere that you've got a base station and you don't need a signal that's going to hop from one base station to another Think, Think about it in your head, if you would. You know, the, the old MasterCard logo, right, with the where you've got the kind of the Venn diagram sort of circular deals going on. If you put a wireless base station uh, in the middle of each circle, right, and and now you've got a, a radius. That is the range of that. Uh, the idea would be to have that range overlap very slightly, but enough so that when you move from one to the other, you are in a spot where you have coverage from both. Uh, you know, if you if you do WDS, think about how much closer those dots need to be to each other, because not only do you need their ranges to overlap, You need them to be inside each other's range uh, so that you can get some and you're really not going to get enough out of it. Like I've said it many times, but I've rarely seen WDS actually solve anyone's problem. It is something that works fine in a in a in a lab situation. But but in a house where you've got spots where you want to put things, I've just never found it to really, truly extend what you know, if you get the, the second base station, the extension base station close enough to the first one. It, uh, you, you know, you're so close that you don't have any range to extend, and they will actually wind up interfering with each other. That's no, what I've seen. I'm with you. That's
1: been my experience.
0: Yeah. Um, the only
1: reason I've done it is because the Airport Express has the uh, air tunes, or now. Yep. Or, right. Or, That's it. And that was the thing. only reason I did right. it. I, I didn't do it because, yeah, my experience was uh, I would never get throughput that was better. Right. Than connecting to the, uh, to the original. Yeah, because I think as a, you know, you're know you extending a signal that's pretty marginal. So h- how much better can it get? Well, you may see, so you will certainly see a stronger signal if you hook up to a base station that's closer. Right. But you're not going to be getting a better, you're not going to be getting better throughput. I, I mean, I, I think just the laws of physics say it's impossible. Right. In
0: fact, it's probably worse because you've got more radio right. f- signals in the way. Yeah. All right. Uh, John, you had a question on Twitter from keith about how to convert a png file to a pdf and you found an answer i did i did (laughs) and here's what
1: i found yeah so the question was i need to take multiple pngs and convert them to a pdf and keith was scratching his head over over how to do this so i started scratching my head because i saw this as as a, a mini geek challenge and I was thinking about tools and I saw what some of the other were, were suggesting. And, and the, so the first thing that came to mind was graphic converter and graphic converter can certainly convert graphics to uh PDFs. Um, I don't know if it does, you know, a wonderful job, but I, I've used it in the past to do that. Then someone suggested something called image magic. And, and that's a nice, uh, it's an open source image processing utility. And you can do it from the command line. You can say image magic. You can indicate the input and the output. And, and it'll do it for you. But you know, that requires you to go in the terminal and that's uh, and you got to get image magic and compile it or get a binary and stuff like that. Right. But then I kind of stumbled across this, Dave. So, one thing that I use at least on the mini right here is to open our PDFs. I actually use Preview. And one of the nice things about Preview is that if you open if you highlight multiple documents, the preview included with Snow Leopard will show you all of them in a in a little column on the right, which is really nice. So, you know, when I'm I'm looking through the various things that you are reading. I can just click on this column. Well, here's the cool thing, Dave. If you click on multiple ones, and now you, you may think I'm crazy here, but but go with me on this. And then you go to the file menu. If you're clicking on images, what you're going to see is print selected images, dot, dot, dot. Okay. All right. So that's step one. So that's cool. So so preview gives the ability to select multiple images and then you go to print and you're like, well, what do you mean print? You're not going to print these. Well, you kind of are not. You're you. No, you're not. But what happens is when you bring up, bring up the print dialog, if you look in the lower left hand corner, you're going to see this. And, and you may not even notice this. A lot of people probably haven't. Uh, he may not have noticed this. You're going to see a PDF menu. Mm, so you click on the PDF menu and then it says save his PDF dot dot dot. You click on that and voila. And actually, his feedback was that was the the most straightforward way to uh, to do that. Though it's certainly not obvious that Preview is a mechanism to take PNG or whatever image files it understands and to print them or convert them to a PDF, but it certainly can do that. So,
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Preview is a handy little tool. It, y- you know, it in and of itself, it, it does some stuff. I mean, it lets you reorder PDFs and you can pull um Uh, You can pull pages out and all that stuff, of course, but, but really what it does is it just leverages lots of different frameworks in the OS. So it's displaying PDFs, you know, with, with that framework and, or displaying images with, with, uh, with all of that. And then it, and then it's got that whole, you know, subsystem that allows you to print stuff out and and all that. So yeah, very, very cool. Very cool. All right. You know, John, we have talked about the Seagate Momentus drives, which are the hybrid drives if you will they are mostly a regular spindle based mechanical hard drive with mm-hmm. lots and lots of storage but then they also have a small amount somewhere you know in the four gigabyte range i think some of them might have eight but four gigabytes of ssd storage and the claim uh and the marketing says it is to uh it will the drive will intelligently you can't decide what gets stored on which But the drive will intelligently use that SSD to cache uh, and store your most recent data and, in theory, make things a whole lot faster for you. Well, uh, Dave, one of our listeners from a long time, has been experimenting with one of these and sent through this little quick audio review. And it doesn't want to play either, but it will.
3: Hello, boys. Dave Cook from uh, Saugerties, Woodstock area. Uh, Dave, I missed you at the uh, MMW show in November. I know.
0: I, know. I wish I could have made it. Uh,
3: I'm just uh, calling, hopefully quickly, before I lose self-service, um, uh, about my uh, Seagate Momentus XP drive. I believe you guys spoke about it a few episodes ago, and uh, just prior to that episode, I had seen it sitting on a uh, in Best Buy when I was poking around for a drive from um, my MacBook Pro. <clears throat> and uh, I I didn't understand what the technology was all about, and I saw that the uh, SSD portion of it was only 4 gigs, and I was like, oh, forget that. Uh, so I moved on. But then after hearing you explain it, um, what, what, uh, what the whole uh, scene with it is, I decided to go get one, and I've been very happy with it. Um, it took me a couple of days to uh, restore from my original... Uh, 250 gigs, 7,200 RPM uh, internal. And uh, because of a couple of my audio programs, Pro Tools and Smart Live and things like that, they're very finicky with um, different operating systems. I ended up having to go back to Leopard and sit on that, and I'm not running Snow Leopard still because uh, of all that that I just mentioned. But at any rate, uh, just like you and a lot of the video reviews online uh, that I looked at said, um, it took a couple of days for it to learn what I do, and it's blinding fast. At the same time, I will say that I um, stuck another couple of gigs of RAM, so uh, I was only at two and I'm at four now. I didn't opt for the six. But, um, so I put, uh, I put two gigs of RAM and the drive, and it's, uh, it's running great. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just, it's just, other than, like I said, it, 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 uh, it learned what I, what I did on a regular basis, it seemed, and apps open within a bounce, maybe two, maybe not even one bounce, uh, from the dock. And my, I guess my only question, um, if you guys know about it, is it seems like it's not consistent in what it learns. Uh, if I go back to it a few days later and open up a couple of the um, apps, they still take a little while to open and, and they're fine again. So I guess it only caches a certain amount or over a certain time or something. But anyway, uh, I don't want to go on too long. I just want to say thanks for that uh, prodding, uh, not prodding, but the, um, (laughs) you know, the quick explanation of the drive. It prodded me into going to get one, and I'm very happy with it. Uh, That's about it for now. Maybe I'll think of some other stuff. Okay. Talk to you guys soon. Uh, Cut me off.
0: Done. I got you. All right. Thanks, Dave. That's awesome. That's exactly the kind of real world review we were looking for and, uh, and actually makes perfect sense so the drive does it lives up to exactly what we uh what we would have expected and that that's actually pretty cool that that makes me scratch my head you know i look at the imac that i record with here and uh it would be great to speed it up with ssd like speeds but the big problem is of course it's the imac and putting a new drive in one of these is (laughs) yeah yeah
1: (laughs) exactly no i'm not surprised about his feedback though i mean i won't go into a big thing. And it's been a while since I looked at, you know, caching algorithms, but it makes sense. I mean, the thing is, a cache is really a cache will give you data that it it has seen most recently. Right. So worst
0: case scenario is that you're always in in theory. There may be some more intelligence to it than that, but but yeah, right, right. But the thing is, if you're
1: always I mean, if you're constantly always doing totally different things and never Doing the same thing, well, well, we got to think about what the OS does. So, so one is the, what the OS is doing and the other is what applications are doing. But if you're always doing different tasks and always reading different data, then, it, you know, a cache, how, how can it possibly guess? But, so I just want to, but the, the, but I think what's significant is that when you're looking at the cache on, on a, you know, normal hard drive, like even the one that I got, the, you know, r- really nice mechanical one, you're talking a cache on the order of tens of megabytes. In this case, you're talking gigabytes, so so even though I'm I'm pretty sure that the class of memory is not quite as fast as the cache that's on the hard drive itself, it's fast enough and it's large enough. Where as as he said, he uh, well once it learns, as any cache does, you, you're going to see uh, an increase in performance. And I think we we saw Dave uh, some people. Uh, you know, I'll see if I can dig up the article. But the performance is pretty much between the fastest yep. mechanical and the slowest. SSD, so so you get what you pay for. I think the benefit right now is you get you definitely get the storage. But you, uh, I think you get a little. 500
0: gigs. It's probably bang for your buck. It's probably the best right. drive replacement option you've got out there because it, the price premium above a standard mechanical drive is not much. It's almost negligible. So for almost you know for what twenty bucks more than a regular drive, you've got some things operating at the speed of an SSD to me, that that's a no brainer, right? You, you know, right. if you're, so there you go. That's pretty cool. Cool. All right. Thanks, Dave. Uh, rich has a, uh, an anecdote with a tip and we like that.
4: Hi, John and Dave. This is rich from Oxford, England. Um, thanks for the great show. I just thought I'd call and give you a tip that I found the other day. Um, a client's machine crashed halfway through running software update uh they said it crashed i think they actually just restarted it because they were got bored of waiting for the updates to run (laughs) when the machine restarted uh various applications such as safari and ironically software update itself wouldn't launch Um, it was reporting an error saying that the version of safari uh was too old for the version of the operating system so what i deduced was that the OS had been updated, or at least um, parts of the OS had been updated, but uh, the peripheral applications such as Safari and Software Update hadn't. Um, So the customer was stuck in a position where they couldn't launch Safari to download um, another web browser to access Apple's website to download updates manually, or to run Software Update uh, to go and get those updates. Uh, We were looking at rebuilding the machine, um, which wouldn't be too much of a problem with the Netboot image but we thought um, we would try and see if we can run software update from the command line. Um, This proved to work perfectly. Um, You can find the uh, um, command on Apple's website, but it's really simple. You run it as sudo software update, all one word, uh, dash i for install and then dash a for all Um, and then what you get is a feedback in the terminal about all the updates that are running. Um, and gives you a report at the end saying that uh, they've all been installed. Uh, once you restart the machine, um, then it sh- all should work. Um, hope this is useful for you guys. Um, and this is where you cut me.
0: Very nice, Rich. Thanks. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I had no idea that there was a software update command in the terminal, but of course it stands to reason because everything we do, uh, or most everything that we do in the user interface or in the graphical section – is really just a wrapper on top of uh, terminal commands that happen underneath. Apple is so good at obscuring that um, that we you know, have come to believe that the OS really is this graphical thing. But it's not. It's uh, it's all kind of happening at that level anyway. So. Very, very cool. Thanks, Rich. All right. Uh, circus ponies. We've talked about them a lot before. They are the second sponsor for this show and we're going to talk about them again and we're going to do so happily. Uh, Circus ponies makes notebook notebook is an application that allows you to track all kinds of different data types uh, that are related by a category. Could be uh, recipes that you're doing. Could be a class that you're taking. Could be just about anything. And I said it's an app. It's not just a Mac app. It's not just an iPad app. It's an app for both. Uh, You can get this uh, on your iPad and it can stand alone there. You can edit things. You can enter things there. You can do voice annotations on your iPad. Uh, You can have a PDF of class notes in there and you can take notes right on top of that PDF right inside your iPad. Uh, It really, you know, the iPad makes Notebook this Uber portable uh note taking thing. So if you're going to Macworld Expo next week, you're coming to things like say my running your Mac lean clean and mean presentation and you want to take some notes, well, the PDF of my slides is available, which I'm actually not happy about. I don't like having people holding my slides. I'd rather uh you not stare at the slides. I'd rather have you stare at me uh because I'm going to explain some things to you. But uh you do have this so you can take some notes right there on the slides. Uh, and that way you've got this comprehensive thing that's now pretty valuable to you because you've taken the notes you wanted and you've done it all electronically right inside notebook for iPad. Then you get home, you move it over to your Mac, you can pull things in. I'm, and, and honestly, you know, the voice annotation thing, I don't know what Macworld Expo's policy is, but, uh, boy, if I, if, if notes for iPad would, or a notebook for iPad would do it and it will you turn on the, uh, voice annotation thing and. Let her rip and you've got an hour and a half of me talking about whatever was going on with the slides. And I, you know, again, I don't know what their policies are, but uh it wouldn't bother me as long as they're okay with it. So uh then you move it back to your Mac, you can pull in other things. If you're visiting a website or something, you can pull in screenshots or whatever you want from that. And now you've got this whole big comprehensive thing. You can export it as a web page, you can keep it inside notebook. Uh really, really cool stuff. So notebook for iPad is $29.99 and is, of course, available in Apple's App Store. Notebook for the Mac uh, is available online and you can download it for free. Uh, You can get a free trial and then uh, and then when you're ready to buy it and pretty sure you will be, uh, you can do so right online for $49.95. And that's that. Uh, There's an academic license for the Mac version. uh, Gets you for $29.95 U.S. And uh, all of this available at circusponies.com. All right. Owen has a question, John and Owen uses mail and Owen's got an interesting little, uh, little question. He writes, uh, let's see, let me find what he wrote. It's a big long email trail. I had, he says, I just want to know if there's any way to of getting rid of the annoying, bracket gmail bracket and its subfolders on my iPhone 4 and in mail app. And what Owen is talking about here is when you connect to Gmail via IMAP uh if you do so using either the default settings or the instructions that uh that we've printed out on the web, you will get a little subfolder that says in in your in your IMAP hierarchy, you get a little subfolder that says Gmail and then inside that you'll see things like drafts, spam, sent messages trash uh and perhaps one other thing and it is what it is Uh, it's never bothered me but if you don't like that little hierarchy there what you can do is you can tell your mail clients both on your mac and your ipad to use bracket gmail bracket as the imap path prefix and what that will do is it will limit you to only seeing the things that are inside that Gmail folder. Of course, you can add more things. uh, And so you will have just one non-hierarchical list unless, of course, you create folders. So uh, the way you change the IMAP path prefix, let's start with mail and in mail app. It's in mail preferences, accounts, and then you have to choose your account. And once you have the third tab over is the advanced tab and three lines from the bottom, I believe, is a line called IMAP path prefix. So you're going to type in that bracket, Gmail bracket, just like you see it in your mail app. And that should deal with it Uh, on iOS. Same concept, different path settings, mail uh, or settings and then mail contacts and calendars and then choose your account and then click on the account. Uh then go to advanced and again it's called IMAP Path Prefix. Same thing goes in there. So hopefully that takes care of it for you, Owen. And anyone else that needs uh that. You got anything to add, John, before we move on to uh to Johnny, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm I'm
1: you're good. My mail is my mail is cool for uh, IMAP or pop or cool.
0: All right. Uh Johnny writes. Let's see. Let's see if there's a uh, a quick way of doing this. Okay. Uh, Johnny was the one that prompted our discussion about uh, backing up to different hard drives and that sort of thing a couple of shows ago. And he says he has uh, some follow on questions. He was thinking about getting a raid. Uh, actually, we'll skip all that. Uh, no, we won't. Uh, so he's thinking about getting a raid. He says, but I think this is a bad idea. Uh, if each drive has a 2% failure rate common for modern drives, cumulative failure for two drives in a raid zero would be almost 4%. I also thought about getting a Drobo, but the internet is replete with stories of Drobo hardware failure. And when Drobo hardware fails, the data is usually toast. Okay. So that's issue number one. I wanted to talk about this because uh, I store a lot of important data to me on, on Drobo uh, stuff. And I'm a big fan of, of their stuff as I've mentioned in the past. But I, I, I read a lot of these things too. Uh, So here's what, here's what I know about, about these issues. Uh, sometimes hardware inside a Drobo fails. Of course, if a drive fails, that's the beauty of the Drobo is that you are protected and you can just replace the drive and, uh, and your data will, will be there. But if the Drobo hardware fails, or you have some sort of a problem, uh, the worst thing to do is to try to fix it yourself. My understanding and, and what I've seen, and I, and I think I can't remember if it was Pete or a different friend of mine that had a significant problem with uh, his Drobo and was smart enough to just pick up the phone and call data robotics and they walked him through fixing it and got all the data back. There is some magic that goes on in there. And if, and when there's a problem, you want to be dealing with someone that knows what that magic is and knows the paths that you need to take to get through it. Uh, If you aren't that person, and frankly, I'm not that person, uh, then I want to get on the phone with somebody who is. And, and so trying to solve that problem on your own is in from my understanding the thing that causes most of these problems so uh so that do you have anything to add there John so I okay. absolutely do I'm glad you asked Dave I, <laughs> I could hear, hear nice you chomping you at sometimes. I could hear you chomping at the bit
1: well uh, or maybe it was my brain waves where were are penetrating your brain but anyways one of the comments I have here so I I found it interesting about the statistics on the failure rates of the drives But Dave, to me, and I think we mentioned it, but I think it's worth mentioning again. If you rely on a single target for your backup, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, I would. uh, Industry, and and I think in the industry, this is called a single point of failure. Right. And if you're doing that, uh, in my opinion, you're asking for trouble. Now, I understand it costs money to have multiple backup targets. But for example, Dave, on my MacBook Pro, I have not one... Not two, but three. Three, okay? Yep. Because I'm I'm worried about the data. So my MacBook Pro is my primary machine. And so my initial backup target is the time capsule. Okay. My secondary backup target for some of my data, not all, is my local ISP offers a Carbonite subscription. Cool. Where I can back up two gigs of data. So I, I, I select... A portion of the data, of course, I back up everything to the time capsule, but I only back up my documents to Carbonite, and then number three, Dave, is I used Dropbox. Right, it's the third one. So, so I think you'll agree with me that it, that that. So, I I I I believe his statistic is correct, but I think if you if you think if you're thinking about always storing your backups in just one place, eventually it's going to bite you.
0: Yeah. Well, see, and I disagree with his statistics. Uh, I think every drive has a hundred percent, uh, failure rate. Yeah. Well, over time, over time. Yeah. Every drive (laughs) is, is going to die. You know, I don't know what this 2% is. I don't know during what time period, maybe it's during the first 30 days, maybe it's during the first 12 months. I don't know. Uh, but certainly it's a mechanical thing. You know, it, it is going to die. It's just a question of when, and then you can even begin to predict that when maybe this 2% again is when when it falls outside that range. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, the drobo stuff's fine. Now, the other problem I've heard about with drobos is when they, there's two ways that you can connect, depending on what kind of drobo you have. Uh, You can connect to it as a, uh, you know, firewire or USB device. So in that sense, your computer sees it like a normal hard drive and the computer formats it. And it's the computer that's responsible for maintaining the integrity of the file system. And as we know, Computers are terrible at maintaining the integrity of file systems because they shut down, you know, things shut down at the wrong time or devices get disconnected. And so you can get a corrupted file system on a Drobo just like you can on a single drive, you know, firewire capsule or USB thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, if you have a Drobo that's connected to your Mac, you do need to run file system checks and if necessary repairs on it regularly regularly. And if you don't expect that someday, you know, the symptoms of that will actually come, get to a level that you'll notice it. And by then it might be too late. You might have already lost data. So don't imag- Don't think that the Drobo magic has any way of protecting you against that, uh, because if you corrupt the data that's out there, well, then it's corrupted. However, uh, you know, like the newer Drobos, like the Drobo FS and, and various other ones the only way you can connect to them is over the network so the drobo itself is managing its own file system and it does a much better job cuz it doesn't have to deal with the uh, you know you're not relying on your computer to be the the you know the manager there and of course it it uh in theory would do much better so uh, okay so that's 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 question number one he says all of all of this leads me to my follow-on questions my mac pro has developed problems with freezing so much that i have had to use the power button to restart the system lately i've had a couple of blue screen crashes when i've had multiple apps open i tried reapplying the 1066 combo updaters but it didn't help i've had a lot lot of power outages lately so uh they they if if what, if these may seem to be disk problems, that doesn't surprise me. Apple's disk utility says the disk is a OK. However, when I run disk warrior, it says there are two bad blocks. I'm not Ooh. sure if there's any way to fix the bad blocks uh, on a Mac system. I've tried spin on a PC, but I could never get it to work. Uh, spin right somewhat old. And the version I have doesn't deal with SATA drives. OK, Uh, And then he goes on to ask questions about Can I tell what blocks are damaged and what files are on those blocks? And and should I remap them and all this stuff? And those questions are moot, in my opinion. If you have a drive that you either suspect or know to have bad, you know, physical problems, bad blocks or physical problems with a drive. Throw the drive away, back up everything first, get it onto something else and then throw the drive away. Don't store it somewhere and say, oh, maybe someday I'll use it as like a, you know, a, a one shot deal thing or whatever. Don't give yourself the opportunity to rely on that drive any more than you need to, to get the data off of it. Uh, these, yes, you can remap bad blocks and drives do this automatically. They actually have you know, they maintain right. some extra blocks, right. To, to keep things, you know, out of the way. But if it gets to the point where you see that there's bad blocks on there and they're developing, they will continue to develop. It's like a cancer on a hard drive. It, it doesn't mm. get, you know, it rarely gets better. i in fact on it, it's worse than cancer because I've never seen it go into remission on a hard drive. It goes the other direction and it always does. So get, Rid of the drive and and it and and move on. That that's my advice on that. I don't know, John. You have, it.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I'm with you. The, the, okay. the again, I I I don't have anything in front of me, but as far as I know, the drives will do their very best if they detect a bad block to say, okay, this block is bad, and let's just substitute another backup block. And maybe the file system may get a little upset about that, and maybe it'll deal with it. But yeah, once once the drive starts failing, whether it's the platter or the head or the me- or whatever in there. Yeah. It uh, I agree with you. It's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. No,
0: I'm just, so. we just talked about drives are cheap relative. I mean, it, you know, everything costs money. It's so, you know, that, that is a relative statement for me to make, yeah. but, uh, but you compare the cost of replacing that drive with the cost of losing the data that you plan to keep on it and make your decision there. That, I well, that's why I think, yeah, especially
1: in the age of cheap drives. Like I said, Dave, back up, Early backup often and always back up in more than one location. Otherwise you are just asking for trouble. Yep.
0: All right. Uh, Let's see. How are we doing on time here? We got to, uh, yeah, we got a little time. So uh, we have some follow ups from our last cool stuff found show, but first, you know, we've had a lot of you write in for this show and we want to make sure the rest of you know how to contact us. And so John, Our favorite way to have you contact us is to send us an email. Now, this email could include text. It could include an audio file. It could include screenshots. It could include movies. It could include uh, uh, showering us with gifts. We don't know. Uh, It's but the address to send them to is. I was thinking about that, Dave. Gips. I love gifts. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: I I interrupted you because you I think you were going to say, Dave, feedback at
0: MacGab.com. Yeah. You know. That's what you thought I was going to say, but you interrupted me. I was going to say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, as long as you
1: didn't say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. That's (laughs)
0: just depressing. That's right. That's right. And you can also call us at 206 666 geek which, John, is? (laughs) 4335. That's right. Uh, all right, we can, you can Skype us to Mac geek. I actually just checked that last week and it's still working just fine. Uh, and you can find us on, uh, on Twitter. Mac geek. is of course, Twitter.com slash Mac geek. my esteemed colleague, John Braun is, uh, John F Braun on Twitter. I'm Dave Hamilton. The guy that sometimes sits next to me here is pilot Pete. And then of course you can visit Mac observer on Twitter for all the headlines from TMO. Uh, and this is as good a time as any to mention our premium subscription. Premium subscribers can email us at premium at MacGeekGab.com. In addition to being able to do that, premium subscribers also get at least two extra episodes per month. Uh, and the warm fuzzy feeling of supporting their two favorite geeks. Uh, that would be your two favorite geeks. It's twenty five bucks for six months. Uh, you can see all the details at MacGeekGab dot com, and we do really appreciate uh all the support we get from our sponsors, from those of you that support our sponsors and from those of you that support us directly with the subscription. It uh, absolutely, it it all helps. Yeah.
1: And to mention, if you want to see, so of course uh, on the premium episodes, you can go to the webpage, which of course the show notes are, you know, lovingly handcrafted by me. That's right. And you can look at the the show notes just to get a gist and and you will get some answers to your questions, I think, or at least links to some interesting stuff from the premium episode show notes. But if you want to hear show then yes that's right uh subscription is the best way to do that
0: awesome all right uh so let's go here and in uh in our episode 309 which was cool stuff found uh jordan writes you had call uh you had a caller that talked about delivery status touch for tracking packages on your ios device something i believe is new to ios 4 that i use all the time is it's built in package tracking in mail if you receive an email message with a tracking number, clicking on that number will prompt you to track the package. You'll then be bounced out to Safari with the appropriate shipping services tracking page will be loaded. And it works great for me. That's true. Thanks, Jordan. That's uh, really. Yep. Works great. Oh, my God. So I could do. Oh, I'll have to. Try, so
1: I could do this on my touch in theory. Yeah, that's so it's not right. just an iPad thing. Right. Right. Oh, that's all. so That's like a data detector. Right. Is that what? they yeah. call Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, I love it. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. No,
0: it's okay. Uh, To add to that, you know, you can take a tracking number, and I do this all the time. You can do it on your uh, iOS device or on your macOS device, uh, really any device that can get to Google, and put the tracking number into Google. Google will, at the top of the results, say, hey, did you mean to track this DHL or UPS or USPS or FedEx package? And you click the link, and it brings you right there. So it's uh, yet another handy way. Yep. It's kind of frightening
1: how smart Google is. When yeah. When you type in something where where it says that, I I think the other one I found and they, yeah we'll move on here, but I I think the other day I wanted to know the the when when the sun would set. I wanted to go to the beach and take some pictures and I think I typed in sunset Fairfield Connecticut and it's like oh okay here here here's when the sun's gonna set. I'm like really oh that's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty pretty it, it 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 it's frightening. I mean it's free, but yeah I mean I'm thinking Skynet here. I mean this is it it it, it can't end well, Dave.
0: <laughs> Uh yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, Cur- Curtis. Uh, Curtis, yes. Uh let's see. How come I don't have Curtis in here? Uh yeah, I, I have Curtis. There we are. Uh we talked about different simple note clients and uh Curtis says, my favorite Simple Note client from Mac OS X is not an application. It's a dashboard widget and it's called DashNote at DashNote at dot dot com. R-E-S-E-N media dot com. Of course, we'll put the link in the show notes. And when I say we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, I mean, John will put the link in the show notes and we appreciate that. Uh one last thing and um uh you know what I'm gonna skip that. I'm gonna save that for another cool stuff found show because I forgot to put the audio in and it uh it's a cool thing. So we'll save that for the next one. It's already being built. See that the sausage being made. Uh lastly from Jason, he says, just listen to episode three oh nine. A listener mentioned some sort of high geekery shell script way of screen sharing <laughs> shortcutting. Well, I have another free solution that is for us mortal geeks. And it's called screen sharing menu uh, He puts a link he, that she shares with us that John will put in the show notes. He says it's a simple menu bar app that gives you a quick shortcut to screen share. That's it. And I love it. And I love it, too. I think that's uh, that's awesome stuff. I always like that sort of thing because it makes me happy. Uh, we would like to do we have anything else to, to add here, John, before we shove off for the week?
1: No, I don't think so. I hear the band coming in. Uh, I think we're, uh, I don't know about you, Dave. I, I I heard over the next couple of days we may get a little snow and ice here. I, it's not up to the caliber of what you're
0: expecting, which the, is the region crippling storm. And I'm hoping that, it, that any further region cri- crippling storms save themselves for after I return from Macworld Expo. Because no,
1: you know when they're going to come, Dave. They're going to come. They're going to come on Monday when you
0: have to take your flight out. Yeah. Well, see, the good news with that is I can then fly on Tuesday. Uh, last year there was a uh, northeast crippling storm that happened. I think it was on that Tuesday. I always fly out Monday because I got to be in town earlier for band rehearsal. But um, um, but yeah, everybody had trouble getting in. There were many people that uh, that that could not get to uh, San Francisco last year in time for Acrof Expo. So. Uh, But I do want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast, formerly the iPhone Alley podcast, for converting this show to AAC for all of you. I want to thank Cashfly, of course, for all the bandwidth that they provide us with to get the show from us to you podcast marketplace of course includes notebook from circus ponies text expander from smile the jimbo from bare software and the a2 desktop speakers from audio engine all through the backbeat media podcast network folks that is it we are out of here thanks for sticking around thanks for supporting the show thanks for subscribing thanks for sending in your comments thanks for, thanks for you thanks for using a mac Hey, there you go! Not but everybody that listens to the show uses a Mac, and that's okay. Are you serious? Oh yeah, we, t- we have tons of listeners that don't that don't have Macs yet. Oh, it's terrible. But you know, in that case, Dave, I certainly hope that they don't get caught.